Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Uh, my name is Josh. Uh, I am glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, as the kids uh, head downstairs, a little uh, recap from last week. Uh, last week, we introduced uh, a, a phrase, a statement uh, that we hope captures uh, who we are as East Hills and who God is calling us to be. So we said that as East Hills, we are everyday people following Jesus every day. Everyday people following Jesus every day. And we talked about what it means to follow and specifically to follow Jesus, that a follower is someone who spends time with, who chooses on purpose to be with the one they are following, who learns from and uh, grows and is molded by the one they follow, who then imitates, matches, that we would imitate Jesus in our relationships and in our lives. We are with Jesus on purpose. We learn from we grow from, we are molded by Jesus, we imitate Jesus in our lives, and really, anything less than that is something less than a follower. So we also talked about the grace of Jesus for us, that no matter what we have messed up, that every day Jesus invites us to be forgiven and to follow. That no matter what the day before has looked like, his mercy is new every day. <laughs> And he continues to invite us to come and follow him. So this week, uh, let's talk about what we're following Jesus to as we continue to learn from the letter that we call 1 Peter uh, in the New Testament of Scripture. So uh, a question for you. How do you want to be rewarded? In your life, in your relationships, in your job, in your volunteering, how do you expect to be rewarded? What are you hoping happens for you? It's a significant question because you will orient and steer your life toward that as a goal. If it's, if it's money, if it's status, if it's affirmation, whatever it may be, security and safety, however you expect to be rewarded, you will steer life toward that reward because that's what you're hoping is the outcome of your life. It's essentially asking what motivates you. What motivates you in your relationships and in your job, in your family, in your community? Now, I realize that as you ask yourself those questions independently, how do you want to be rewarded and how are you motivated, you may come up with different answers because words matter and you may come up with different answers. And I would suggest that if you do, I would really encourage you to take some time to pray about that, think about it, talk about it with somebody, journal it out, something. Because if those answers don't match, you're gonna be trying to steer your life in two different directions. 
For example, if how you expect to be rewarded in your parenting is that your children like you all the time. <laughs> There's a whole lot of disappointed parents in here. Like, uh-uh, that is not happening. Uh, if you're motivated by seeing your children become successful adults, is it possible that your children are going to like you most of the time and still become successful adults? Yes, I hope. But not every time. And you're going to have to choose between the two. In your job, if you expect to be rewarded with a raise, with a promotion, with a commission, but you say, no, no, what, what motivates me, what motivates me is the happiness of the customer. Now, are happy customers going to lead to you getting a raise, a promotion, a commission? Probably. But what happens when you have to choose between the two? How are you going to steer and orient your relationships? Now, if you really wanted to mess a person up, and I'm going to assume that nobody listening to this really wants to mess another person up, but if you do, Here's a life hack. If you really want to mess a person up, convince them to pursue a reward that will never, ever satisfy. If, say, you were the enemy of God and all humanity and you really wanted to mess somebody up, convince them to pursue a reward that will never actually fulfill or satisfy, because life wouldn't feel pointless, not, not at first, because they would achieve the thing they were going after, and it wouldn't fulfill them, and it wouldn't satisfy, but they go, ah, but I know this is what I want, so maybe it's the next one. It's the next raise, the next promotion, the next stolen kiss, the next add a girl, the next one, that'll be the one that is the reward that I'm looking for. And by the time they realize they're on a hamster wheel of emptiness, they are too tired to try to pursue something different. Did you know, a little science lesson this morning, a little brain science. Did you know that scientists and theologians alike believe that your brain can be changed. And I don't just mean changing your mind. I mean like science is proving over the last 20 years or so that the neurons in your brain that that fire together and wire up and create all these connections that are the scientific basis for your uh, desires, for your priorities, for your loves and interests, that, that those things can be disconnected and rewired in a different way. Not just change your mind, but change your brain in a core way. For instance, we have this idea that people have a type, just societally, we have this idea that people are attracted to a certain type, okay? Tall, short, skinny, curvy, light hair, dark hair, whatever. But brain science is actually showing that we can train our brains to be attracted to any body or personality type we want to. So your partner doesn't look like they did when you first got together. So what? 
Stop fantasizing about people who don't look like them and train your mind and your eyes on the beauty that they possess. You can train your brain. Scripture says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Scripture is saying what science is now proving, that what we desire is changeable. It just takes practice and intentionality and transformation. Are you feeling like the rewards that you're going after in life just are not fulfilling? They're not lasting. It never quite tastes like you expected it to when you got there. You can change what you pursue and desire. It just takes practice. As we dive into our letter from Peter this morning, uh, I wanna pray for us and our time in scripture together. Jesus, we come this morning asking to be, expecting to be changed by you, the word of God. As we look at this letter, Father, would you connect it to our hearts? Spirit, would you work it in us in a way that it transforms us? That we would have a new encounter with the truth, with the way that you want us to go, with the life that you offer us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter writes to his people and to us. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Pause. Because if you haven't been around church very much, that's an insane saying. And if you've been around church a lot, we just blow past this. Like, oh yeah, God raised Jesus from the dead. Yep, got it. It's like if you say something enough times over 2,000 years, you start to yawn at it and it stops becoming amazing. God raised Jesus from the dead, and in doing so, took a seam ripper to the very fabric of what we know humanity and life and eternity to be, and re-stitched it and rewired it in a whole new way. God raised Jesus from the dead, and because of that, we have new life and can have new expectations. He says now, we live with a great expectation. Okay, an expectation for what? I mean, really ask yourself in your life, what do you expect God to do with your life? What do you expect God to do for you, to do with you? What do you expect God to do Do you expect that if God really loves you, he's going to give you the rewards you're pursuing? Seems like a fair expectation. I want these things. God loves me. He'll give me what I want. My kids seem to think that's how parenting works. Um, It's not. Okay. But we have this expectation of God, right? Like, okay, you tell me there's an all-loving God. I want these things. I expect that God is going to give them to me. Or if not... 
I certainly expect that a loving God would take away the things in my life that hurt, that God will save me from suffering, remove the negative circumstances, make life easier in some way. Okay, now if you don't expect that of God, which many of us have been trained in church to not expect that, no, God's not just gonna take everything away, then do you think God's holding out on you? I mean, do you expect that he's going to make or keep things hard for you? That somehow following God is going to make life more difficult because because God's holding out on you. I mean, sure, he has the power to change it, but he's not going to. Satan convinced Adam and Eve that God was holding out on them. Many of us, depending on the day, can be convinced of the same thing. Or do you expect that God maybe is doing something beyond what you know, beyond what you can imagine? What do you expect God to do with your life? Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay, the reward that God has for you cannot be corrupted, defiled, does not decay. But you have to wait for it. Is that God protecting you or holding out on you? He continues. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Another question for us to consider this morning. What if God is more concerned with your character than your comfort? Really, what are, the, what are the implications of that? What if, what if God is more concerned with your character than your comfort? Here, Peter specifically talks about our faith being refined through the fire. Elsewhere in scripture, he talks about our endurance, our character being built up through the things, the trials that we go through. What if God is more concerned with your character than your comfort? For a lot of people, the answer to this question is, well, then I'm out. If God is more concerned with my, I mean, we would never say it this way, but if God is more concerned with my character than my comfort, I'm, I'm out. We see it in the gospels. We see it around us in the world, have for 2000 years. Like if I'm not going to be able to be comfortable here, if I'm not gonna see things go the way that I want them to, then I will go somewhere else where I feel like I can make them go the way I want them to. 
I, I will choose my comfort. Avoid the awkwardness, avoid the pain. I will choose my comfort if I can over an almighty God building up my character. To let him do that feels like life is outside of my control. It sounds really painful. It feels like God is asking too much of me. What if God is more concerned with your character than your comfort? Now, Peter... Peter knows or Peter believes that he is writing to a group of people that respond differently than that. Verse eight, he says, you love him, talking to them about God, you love God, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of of your souls. They love God and they trust that God loves them. And it's in that shared love, not not in their comfort, not in their entertainment, it's in their shared love that they find joy. And as their faith and trust grow, they are convinced that their reward is coming, the salvation of their souls for all eternity. Now, for a lot of us, that doesn't feel particularly satisfying. I'm not interested in the wait, not interested in what might be coming. What about the problems in front of me now? Last Saturday night, uh, as we were talking about following, one of the things we talked about as we uh, chatted as a group around our, our tables, one of the things we was mentioned was that following is an act of trust. That you don't have to know where you're going if you trust the one that you're following. If you're in a caravan of cars and you know the person at the front or the person in front of you knows where they're going, then you just get in line and you follow them. Now, often you do know where you're going. And sometimes they're going to get there in a way that's different than you would. There is an act of trust in following and saying, okay, I'm not sure why we're on this road, in this valley, over this mountain, but, but I'm following you To follow someone well, you need to not only trust that they know where they're going, but to trust that they know how to get you there. For any of you uh, who use Google Maps, I don't know what Siri is doing with her maps these days, but if you noticed on Google Maps, when you put in an address, One of the options now, it gives you all these different routes you could go, and some of them are like three and a half hours longer than the other one just to get across town, but like, you've got options. And one of the options 
has a little green leaf next to it now because Google is trying to get you to take the most ecologically friendly route you can take. And that is an admirable attempt by them. But what it has created is a little bit of conflict between me and my priorities and Google and theirs. The ecological route is wonderful. I would like to get there in as straightforward and as fast as a way as possible. Anybody else still try to race Google Maps? Not that I do that. I just, uh, it used to be, I stopped a couple years ago because it used to be like MapQuest would tell you. You guys, anybody remember MapQuest? I'm going way back now. The kids are like, what? Anyway, uh, you'd follow MapQuest. It'd take, it'd take three hours. Like, I could be there in 250. And I, I was younger. I wouldn't do that anymore. Anyway, Google wants me to go the ecological route and I would like to get there in as few turns as fast as possible. And yes, I would like to use as little gas as possible, but I will confess that has more to do with gas prices than the ecology of it. However, what happens then is that occasionally Google is going to give me a direction and I am going to instantly become a very bad follower of Google because I'm going to decide that I'm going to go a different way. Now, with Google Maps, that's fine. If you're following a human leader that you have good reason not to trust, that very well may be the right choice to go a different way. But here's the truth of how God made humanity. When we agree with the priorities of God, we find joy. When we agree with the priorities of God, we find joy. And I want to note that I don't just mean people who are following Jesus. Because if you look around the world, you will see people who say they want nothing to do with Jesus or religion, who are finding joy in their lives. And I would argue that for those who are really finding joy, not, not temporary happiness, but joy, it's because they're doing things that agree with the priorities of God because they're living out gospel truth, whether they know it or not, loving their neighbor, taking care of others, fulfilling the mission of God in this world. When we agree with the priorities of God, we find joy. Or another way of saying this is when we agree with how God will get us where we're going, we find joy. Not just where we're going, but how we're getting there. So we come back to our expectation question. What do you expect God to do with your life? To save you from suffering or to save your soul? To change your circumstances or to change you? What is your expectation of God's priorities in your life because joy is found in the journey as we follow in the footsteps of our Savior. And these trusting steps, uh, Peter says, are fueled by hope. Uh, another author in the New Testament says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of the things we cannot see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of the things we cannot see. And that hope fuels our next step of following Jesus. We endure difficult things because we have a hope for a reward still to come. 
and because we trust the one we are following to get us there, to give us an incorruptible, undecayed reward. Which unfortunately stirs up a question in me. Because Peter seems really clear that hope and joy are the comfort in our suffering. That hope is the comfort. That hope will come and wrap their arms around you and whisper in your ear, I know it doesn't look good, but I'm telling you good things are coming. So the question it stirs up in me is what's happening in me and in my life when it feels like hope is not enough? When, when I just wanna shove hope aside and say, I, I'm not worried about, what do you mean tomorrow is gonna to be, like, what about what's happening now? I have an unfortunately very low threshold for suffering in my life, I think. Like a, a hangnail or minor inconvenience at the grocery store and I'm crying out to God, which is an exaggeration, but not nearly as much of one as I would like it to be. What is happening in me that hope is not enough? What, what happens in us that shoves hope aside when that relationship hurts. When the doctor comes out and says, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. When life is absolutely not going according to how we thought it would go. When towers fall, when the sky is a very ominous shade of orange, where did hope go? What happened to the comfort of hope? Here's a conclusion I think I'm coming to. Hope is dismissed in our lives when we choose present and temporary relief over future and forever ecstasy. Hope is dismissed. Hope wants to come and give you that comforting hug and tell you it's not okay today, but it will be. There is an inexpressible joy that is coming. And I tell hope to go sit in the corner and I will get back to you on Sunday. <laughs> because I get focused, we get focused on finding some sort of temporary relief for the things going on in front of me. Because what good is hope to me when my character isn't my goal, my comfort is. I want this to be easier. What good is hope <laughs> When I, I want to feel better today, I'm not worried about growing tomorrow. And I think the biggest reason I end up shoving hope into a corner some days, too many days, 
is because the things that hope is telling me don't match what my eyes are telling me. That hope is telling me about something I can't see yet. What I can see is the people I love are hurting. What I can see is things not going the way I want them to. What I can see is things feeling out of control. And when what hope tells me doesn't match what my eyes tell me, I choose to believe my vision. I trust my own eyes. So the question is, do I trust my own eyes today or do I trust the vision of my Savior? Do I trust my own eyes or do I trust the vision of my Savior? Am I the leader or am I the follower? Which role am I playing today? on a Tuesday afternoon at work, on a Thursday morning at home, on a Friday night at the movies? Do I trust my eyes or the vision of my savior? Now the answer to that question is also the answer to the question, who am I putting my faith in? Who do you put your faith in? Is it in the vision that God has for your life? In the whispers of hope that can keep you going? Or in the circumstances and sufferings that you see in front of you? For us at East Hills, our vision is to trust the vision of our Savior. To be everyday people following Jesus every day. Following Jesus every day. And as we follow, the vision of God will take the message of our lives far beyond our time and space. This is part of the promise of hope, the promise of what God could be doing in our lives today that makes an impact later. In his letter, Peter points backwards in history to capture this present moment and the future hope. This is verse 10. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. You and I are blessed to live in a day where the hope of Christ is being fulfilled. That every day you live in is a day when Christ is alive when salvation is assured for all who follow him, when we have reason to hope, every day that we're living is a day that heaven is eagerly watching to see what happens. 
we will not always see the significance or the fulfillment of what God is doing in our lives. Even the prophets quoted in scripture, Peter says, did not get to see their words and their lives and their message fulfilled. Yet they trusted in God's vision for tomorrow and trusted enough to obey him, to give the message, the words that they were called to give every day. These prophets were farmers and construction foremen. They were from little pass by towns and significant cities. They were everyday people who trusted what God was calling them to do. Their message has lasted and been fulfilled, not because of how great they were, but because of how they trusted and followed. Their work has made an eternal difference up even to today in your life. Every day may feel like a grind. Some days will be full of joy. Some will just feel bitter. A lot will be some mix of the two. Now, the prophets did not do a great job of following Jesus every day. And like the prophets, we will have days where we run away from what God is calling us to do. And he invites us every day to come and be forgiven, to come and follow. Like the prophets, even though we have these runaway days, every day is a day for hope. Every day that we are living, every day that we are following Jesus is a day for hope. You may have no idea where this week is headed, where this month, this season is headed. And if you need any evidence of that, look back over the last 12 months. Did the last 12 months look like what you expected 12 months ago? You may not know where you are going, but we have a trustworthy leader to follow in Jesus. His work in your life, his leadership in your life, is growing you, is building the anticipation of heaven and is leading you to a secure salvation. So be truly glad, Peter says. There is a wonderful joy ahead. And as you stare down this week, as you go through the ins and outs and the roller coasters of what may be in front of you, is going to be very tempting, always, to believe that God is holding out on you, to believe that you're gonna have to reach for relief on your own, to believe that that temporary numbing out in front of you is going to fulfill you in some way, to believe that that reward that's just over the next hill, that's gonna be the one that makes all of this okay. And hope is going to encourage you to live in that day. To go through the valleys and the mountains of that day. To follow Jesus that day. Hope is going to promise you that there is 
a wonderful joy ahead. So be truly glad in the midst of all of it. There is a wonderful joy ahead of you. As the worship team comes up and we head into the unknowns of this week, let me pray for us. Father God, we want to follow you. Because we've experienced that choosing to go our way seems to lead us to places that don't quite cut it. That are never quite fulfilling. That don't quite quench what our souls and hearts and minds thirst for. So Father, we come asking that you would lead us that you would stir up trust in us, that you would stir up courage in us to take the next step even, though we, even when we don't know where we're going. That you would guide us, that you would protect us, that you would protect for us the incorruptible, undecayed reward that is coming. And that our reward today, this week, would be to love you and to trust that you love us and to live in that shared love, knowing that the hope and the future that you are telling us about is true and is coming and that you will lead us there. So we praise you for that. We ask for your help. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.